Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. It was Monday, April 8th, 1974. The Atlanta Braves were hosting the Los Angeles Dodgers in the humidity of a Georgia spring. The Dodgers' pregame scouting report on the Braves' right fielder was straightforward. As Dodger catcher Steve Yeager recalled, it said, Henry Aaron, what else do you need to say? I mean, he was Henry Aaron. The game marked the home opener at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. The crowd numbered 53,775, one of whom was Governor Jimmy Carter. All right, thank you, Ernie, very much, and hello again, everybody. We are set to go, and the first pitcher this big night is a strike, it's called, and it's 0-1. Aaron, who wore number 44, was on history's doorstep. He had already tied the Major League all-time home run record. 714, held for decades by the late George Herman Babe Ruth of the New York Yankees. Henry Aaron has just tied Babe Ruth in the all-time home run parade. Aaron's next four bagger would catapult him into the record books and into American legend. The record they said that couldn't be reached has just been reached by Henry Aaron. I'm Doc Rivers, and this is It Was Said Sports, Episode 5, A Marvelous Moment, Henry Aaron's Quiet Grace. The Hate Crimes Division came in my office one day, and the reason I could handle it and wasn't phased by it was because I saw how Hank Aaron handled this same thing. It had been for me a long and winding road. He was great with all players. He was about helping people. Crowd is up all around. The pitch to him. Bounced it up there, and it's ball one. In the bottom of the fourth inning, Dodgers pitcher Al Downing threw ball one to Aaron, who'd walked in the second. The next pitch changed everything. Listen to Vin Scully make the call. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. I admire Vince Scully because I grew up outside of L.A. and Riverside listening to every Vince Scully game with the transistor radio in my pocket or with the house radio in the window if I was working. This is Houston Astros manager Dusty Baker. In the late 60s and early 70s, Baker was teammates with Hank Aaron in Atlanta. Vince Scully was a fair man. 
and he called it like he saw it and didn't hesitate. And, uh, you know, what he said was the truth. It was big time truth. And uh, just sometimes it takes a man of prowess and power to, to tell the truth and not get any backlash behind it. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. And particularly for Henry Aaron. Consider those words, and particularly for Henry Aaron. Himself an icon, Aaron remains more elusive than most sports heroes. Babe Ruth was a great showman. But not Henry Aaron. The road to that April night wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. But because of Aaron's grace, courage, and determination, it was noble. As he recalled, the roof chase should have been the greatest period of my life. And it was the worst. I couldn't believe there was so much hatred in people. He was uh, really into civil rights and really big in NAACP, and especially when he was about to break the record. He used to get all these letters and death threats, and he would never give it to us to read, but I could tell whenever he had a bad letter, he would like just drop it on the floor and go in the training room, and we'd look at him and was totally bewildered by what we had read, and uh, it motivated him big time. And I remember that spring training before, he was working on hitting home runs. I think he had 11 hits that spring and 10 of them were home runs. The notion of a black man breaking the sacred Babe Ruth home run record enraged many. It wasn't Aaron's numbers, which were phenomenal. Aaron batted 305 over his career with the fabled 755 home runs and 2,297 runs batted in. He was godlike. To Muhammad Ali, Henry Aaron was the only man I idolized more than myself. He could do everything. You know, if he needed a base, he stole it. If he needed somebody thrown out, he'd throw him out. He was an excellent base runner, great anticipation. And the thing about him is what I noticed that he had great vision. He knew what was coming all the time. I mean, he always was studying. The hate wasn't about ability. It was about color. A representative letter to Aaron from a hater read, you're not gonna break this record established by the great Babe Ruth if I can help it. Whites are far more superior than jungle bunnies. My gun is watching your every black move. When I got to Chicago years later as a manager, I got some of the same letters and death threats and the FBI, the hate crimes division came in my office one day and you know, the reason I could handle and wasn't phased by it was because I saw how Hank Aaron handled the same thing. And a lot of times you don't know, you know, what you're going through. It could happen to you 25, 30 years later, like it happened to me. So, you know, like I really thank Hank. In his induction speech at the Hall of Fame in 1982, Aaron quoted an old saying. The way to fame is like the way to heaven through much tribulations. It had been for me to quote a very popular song. 
a long and winding road. Born in segregated Mobile, Alabama in 1934, fully 20 years before the Supreme Court's Brown versus the Board of Education's decision, Henry Arendt had always wanted to play baseball and make a difference for the folks he called his people. Black Americans denied their full and fair shot at the American dream. For him, baseball was the way up and out of Mobile and out of segregation. For it was not fame I sought, but rather to be the best baseball player that I could possibly be. And by being the best player that he could possibly be, he made a lasting mark, not only on the field, but off. The story of a black man rising through merit in the tumultuous years of the 50s, 60s, and early 70s resonated deeply in America and around the world. Hank Aaron's saga is about hitting and fielding. He was brilliant at both, but also about raw courage in a racist time. His deeds speak for themselves. His words upon being inducted into the Hall of Fame spoke to the perennial struggle in American sports and in American life. Baseball is like that, a fitting metaphor for so much of life, its disappointments, its triumphs, its durability, and its transitory nature. In A. Bartlett Giamatti's Take Time for Paradise, Americans and Their Games, the scholar of Renaissance literature, president of Yale and baseball commissioner wrote, Baseball fulfills the promise America made itself to cherish the individual while recognizing the overarching claims of the group. It sends its players out in order to return again, allowing all the freedom to accomplish great things in a dangerous world. So baseball restates a version of America's promises every time it is played. The playing of the game is a restatement of the promises that we can all be free and that we can all succeed or so Henry Aaron always hoped. Jackie Robertson and Roy Campanella proved the way and made it possible for Frank and me and for other blacks hopeful in baseball. They proved to the world that a man's ability is limited only by his lack of opportunity. As Aaron recalled in his memoir, I Had a Hammer, see, I'm one of the lucky ones. I could do something that white people would pay to see. Singers, dancers, boxers, ball players. Sure, we can make it in the white world. White people love to have us entertain them. But what about all the black teachers and mechanics and carpenters and waitresses? So I make it my business not to be content. Look, I don't have the vision or the voice of Martin Luther King or James Baldwin or Jesse Jackson or even of Jackie Robinson. I'm just an old ball player. Among other things, I learned that if you manage to make a name for yourself and if you're black, believe me, it has to be a big name. Then people will start listening to what you have to say. That is why it was so important to me to break that home run record. Believe me, there were times during the chase when I was so angry and tired and sick of it all 
that I wished I could get on a plane and not get off until I was someplace where they never heard of Babe Ruth. But damn it all, I had to break that record. I had to do it for Jackie and my people and for everybody who ever called me a nigger. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology. And Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. He started out with the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro League before breaking in with the Boston Braves, who would later move to Milwaukee and then to Atlanta. Racism was pervasive. As Aaron recalled of a day in Washington, we had breakfast while we were waiting for the rain to stop, and I can still envision sitting with the clowns in a restaurant behind Griffith Stadium and hearing them break all the place after we had finished eating. What a horrible sound. Even as a kid, the irony of it hit me. Here we are in the capital, in the land of freedom and equality, and they had to destroy the plates that had touched the forks that had been in the mouths of black men. If dogs had eaten off those plates, they'd have washed them. There's a drive to deep right center field. That ball is going, going, it's gone. He led the Braves to a 1957 World Series title against the New York Yankees. In 1963, he won the Triple Crown, leading the National League in average, homers, and RBIs. I met Hank Aaron when I was uh, right out of high school. I got drafted by the Atlanta Braves, which I prayed that I would not get drafted by the Atlanta Braves because they were in the South. And this was 1967, and that's when they were having a lot of unrest in the country and and freedom marches, and uh, everything was anti-conformity, anti-Vietnam. And I'm from from the Bay Area, so that was almost the center of a lot of activity. And uh, the Braves drafted me. They flew my mom and I to L.A., and I was trying to figure out what to do because my mom and dad had just gotten divorced. And I met Hank. I worked out with the team. And Hank told me, he says, hey, man, if you uh, have enough confidence in yourself to be in the big leagues by the time your graduating class would have graduated from college, then go ahead and sign. And if not, then you go ahead and go to college. Like I said, I was oldest of five. My mom and dad had just gotten divorced. And so, you know, the economic spokes of the wheel was a lot of whack. And uh, I decided to sign. And uh, Hank Aaron told my mom that he would take care of me as if I was his son. Along the way, he kept hammering home runs. 
and by 1967, it was becoming clearer that he had a shot at surpassing Ruth's record. During the chase, Aaron received 930,000 pieces of mail, the most of any non-politician in America. Is it true that there was perhaps more talent in the Negro Leagues back then than there was in Major League Baseball? I would not doubt it one bit. There was so much talent. In comparing the different eras in which he and Ruth competed, Aaron made a powerful argument. As Aaron observed, Ruth played in a time where there were no black players. To me, that's the most relevant point of all because it stands apart from the changes that reflect the natural evolution of the game. Things like new facilities, better equipment, and modern innovations. This goes deeper than the other changes because it has to do with the people who play the game. It goes right to the foundation of the Babe Ruth legend, which is the fact that he towered over all hitters of his time. He did that, and there's no denying it. There's never been a more dominant hitter. But it should be understood that he dominated a very weakened field. If black players had been allowed to play in the major leagues at that time, it is highly unlikely that Roof would have dominated in the manner that he did. In 2002, President George W. Bush, a former owner of the Texas Rangers, awarded Aaron the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor, at the same time Nelson Mandela, Nancy Reagan, and Mr. Rogers were honored. Hank Aaron overcame poverty and racism to become one of the most accomplished baseball players of all time. When I was in the ballpark, he said, I felt like I was surrounded by angels and I had God's hand on my shoulder. By steadily pursuing his calling in the face of unreasoning hatred, Hank Aaron has proven himself a great human being, as well as a great athlete. It was a cold night in April, very cold in Atlanta. It was packed. And uh, he told me, he said, man, I'm gonna get this over with right now. You know, he wasn't predicting like Muhammad Ali, but he was actually schooling me. You know, this guy's going to do this, he's going to do that, bam, 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 and then he'd do it. You know, that's what Hank did. Hit it out of the park, and I didn't want to take away from his moment, because this was Hank's moment. And uh, his mom and dad came down, and kids came down on the field. On that April night in Atlanta in 1974, Aaron said all he could remember was that he was in his own little world as he jogged the base paths. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate. And listen to this crowd. But he wasn't. He was in the world. And the world was watching. Watching a man who endured much, achieved much, and meant much. People probably get tired of me talking about Hank, you know, on and off the field. You know, he was uh, great with people. He was uh, great with all players. If you act like you wanted to learn white, black, Latin, or, or whatever, and he was about helping people. You know, his foundation, um, he gave away scholarships. He created jobs. And, uh, you know, I miss him very badly. Next time 
on It Was Said Sports. I mean, there was nobody who looked like them who had ever stepped on that floor when that game was being played in 1966, March of 1966. And so it's just staggering. And I covered dozens of games there for the Washington Post. And I never got over it. I never got over walking in that gym and knowing what happened in it changed the face of college basketball and probably all sports. Thank you for listening to It Was Said Sports, a documentary podcast from Shining City Audio, a C-13 Originals, and John Meacham Studio. Executive produced and created by John Meacham and Chris Corcoran. Narrated by me, Doc Rivers. Written by John Meacham. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Production led by Paige Heimsom. Edited and mastered by Chris Basil. Guest booking and coordination by Kelly Rafferty. Additional production support by Bill Schultz, Sean Cherry, Bob Tabador, Ian Mont, and Rich Cook. Creative consultation by Nikki Kovac and David Weisborg. Cover art and graphic designs by Kurt Courtney. Marketing and publicity by Brian Schwarth, Maura Corrin, Josephina Francis, Lauren Schwartz, and Hilary Schuff. Our theme song is I Can Almost See You by Hammock. Hey friends, this is Jen Hatmaker, your happy host of the For the Love podcast. You may wonder how I got into this podcasting thing. Well, I'm a speaker and an author who has happened to write a few New York Times bestselling books that really resonated with a pretty large community of women. And I thought, how great would it be to drop into the ears of this growing community every week via the magic of podcasting? So that's what we did. And I'm delighted to say we've been able to spark a bit of delight and uncover some hope and talk with great people about the big and small things that we care about and that affect our lives on the daily. So I'm thrilled to invite you to join me every Wednesday for new episodes of the For the Love podcast, where you'll hear the most incredible conversations with some of the best people on this planet. We're going to bring you moments of connection and laughter and hot takes on the things we care about going on in the world. So listen to and follow For the Love with Jen Hatmaker a Four Eyes Media production presented by Odyssey. You can get it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.